Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about Up in the Air, the 2009 film directed by Jason Reitman, screenplay by Jason Reitman and Sheldon Turner, based on the novel by Walter Kern. I am joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayeros. Hi. So I'm really excited to talk about Up in the Air because I like it a lot. Uh, (laughs) And it was so before Lessons from the Screenplay was a thing, I had committed to I'm going to read a bunch of screenplays and learn as much as I can. And as I started to read them, I was like, well, I'm going to write blog posts about each one I read and that'll help me internalize lessons and then be able to share them with people. And basically, as I started to write the first like blog post or two, I was like, I think this could be a video essay. Strangely, one of the very first blog posts I wrote was about Up in the Air because it was one of my favorite movies. I knew the script was great. And then I, you know, was reading it for this purpose and extracting all these cool lessons. And I was like, I'm going to write a blog post about it. And so it was almost a ready-to-go video, but for some reason, it never became a video. But I found the script for it and tons of the things that I identify in the Up in the Air script uh, we went on later to make videos about. So maybe I'll like share the script to patrons because it is kind of like fun and there's a lot of important things to learn from the screenplay as we will talk about. Nice. But yeah, this movie is really, really good. I remember... A hazy memory of seeing it. It came out in 2009, so it was like the year after I graduated college, and so I was back in my hometown, and I feel like I went to see a movie, and I was like, "Oh wait, they still make movies like this? Like this mm. is a a character story, and it just no one dies, and it's self-contained, and it's well designed." Um, so it's kind of left me wondering, like, is this the last 90s movie? Like. <laughs> maybe i feel like it might be and i also it was funny watching that this time i was getting groundhog day vibes from it Mm -hmm. and some of the like you know the design of the protagonist and his arc and reading rereading the script from you know five six years ago i also thought that then so i haven't gone insane (laughs) which is good um but yeah so i love this movie i think it's charming it does so many plot structure things so well the performances are great three academy awards nominations for all three of the leads is pretty impressive um so i think yeah it's a great movie there's a lot to be learned from it what do you guys think of this movie trisha what do you what do you tell me about up in the air yeah so i saw this in the theater you know it came out in december or it was like late at the end of the year right um i think it actually came out in november but i I caught it i think in like maybe early december or something um, of that year. And I, I went on a date to see it. Um, it's actually a great date movie. I don't know. I Mm. feel like because it's so rich for conversation afterward, like it's the kind Mm -hmm. of thing where you can like definitely go out for a drink afterward and like really dig into it. And like, I don't know, it's really great. Um, did you sneak out after or did you say goodbye? (laughs) (laughs) Protocol is tricky. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's just, but the one thing I remember is that I I like audibly gasped in the theater when the reveal happens uh-huh. when she like opens the door and the yeah. kid runs up the stairs and you're like, it could be okay. And then the guy comes in and you're yeah. like, oh, it's not okay. It's really, <laughs> really bad. Um, and it, you know, it is a twist and it it's so 
the movie's so I want to like want to get to it later, but the movie so consciously avoids hinting it to you at all in any way. There are no breadcrumbs. You could never know, mm-hmm. right? That that is coming. Um, and which in some cases when twists like that happen, it feels cheap when it happens. But in this case, it's so the themes are so embedded in every part of this film that it just feels like, why didn't I see that coming? And Mm -hmm. it's like the movie literally never hinted it to me even one time in the character or in the dialogue or anything, but it's so that twist is so earned by the thematic work that's being done that it's just like, it's brilliant. And it, punches you straight in the gut and it's unforgettable like to be honest i haven't seen this movie since i sat in that movie theater on that date in 2009 but i remembered so much of it but especially like everything about that moment and how it's filmed and how it's approached right like there's yeah it's a what a testament to like the the structure work and everything that's been done that leads to that moment it's also the kind of thing that when you then rewatch the movie, you're like, oh, okay, that's why she maybe didn't answer that question or she didn't really acknowledge, you know, it's like, it doesn't feel completely out of left field where like we wrote a character based on this one ideology and then completely changed it later. It's like, no, no, we embedded it in a way where it wasn't hinting at it. But at the same time, when you look back through, you're going, ah, okay. Right. Like, that's why she never maybe didn't quite go yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. There is one line I noticed this time where she says, back home, I don't get to act the way I do with you. Mm. Right. And right. that's that's the that's the only thing she says that d- does hint that there's like there's a home life that is different from this. Right. Yeah. 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 But it goes by so quick and you kind of you can assume, you know, whatever. Right. right. You can read yeah. that in lots of ways. And I do feel like, you know, watching it again, Vera Farmiga's performance, I think you can totally. find moments where it's like, sure. OK, she's wrestling with things. And now that I know what she's wrestling with this all plugs in but yeah in in the text that yeah you have very very little basically nothing to hold on to right but yeah i think it's that thing where like i don't know it's just that's the hallmark of a really really good screenplay right where like there's a true sense of i don't know what's gonna happen next and then when that thing arrives it's the only thing that could possibly have happened but there was no way for you to anticipate even a seasoned moviegoer or screenwriter like me um and at the time of course i was a much younger screenwriter but even so i was like there's no way for me to have guessed like that that was coming um and and so many so much of the way that this plays out too has that unexpected like okay, they're going to go to the sister's wedding. Is it going to go terribly? I actually don't know. Like, I, I kind of can't predict what's going to happen in any given scene. Um, only it all feels so right. And like, it all clicks together and holds together so well. Yeah, it's really self-contained. Um, and it's it's small, of like, in a way, it's a small movie. But because it is this intimate character study, the stakes feel really big for the character. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the character of, um, what's George's character? Ryan. Yeah. Ryan Bingham. Uh, it's just, it's so clear, like what his, what his problem is, the thing that he needs to learn, you understand kind of why he, you know, the weakness and the fears that he has and the defense mechanisms, like it's all so well drawn and he's partnered with such amazing characters on all sides of him to, uh, yeah, push him along that arc, but also dramatize it and make us like really understand and question all these things that it's, 
uh yeah it's it's a good movie and we don't have a whole lot of them <laughs> yeah, and yeah. i like this one <laughs> a good original movie i know it's yeah. based on a novel but mm -hmm. it's a good original film yeah 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 i mean so like there's so many things to to talk about um i'm like yeah the design so actually one of the things because character plot structure stuff is all really interesting but also as i was saying you know this this movie feels kind of like the last 90s movie and mm -hmm. uh it was made in 2009 so obviously not 90s but it was this kind of before era in technology which was kind of fun to revisit yeah. where like they don't have iMessage they have iChat and the new technology that Natalie Keener is bringing into this firing service <laughs> is, is video chat especially uh, now that was right? hilarious right. yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah and like you know ryan's making fun of her of like oh yeah i can set up a myspace but like do you really know what <laughs> stuff is so that was just kind of like fun to yeah to revisit what technology was like not that long ago but that it was different enough that i feel like in some ways this movie couldn't be made in the same way today um which i think is just always fascinating to look at like you know movies that need to take place in a certain time period because of the technology where they can you know they have the internet so she can google ryan and know certain things about him but we don't have facebook we don't have smartphones we don't have uh all the stuff that might have you know ryan could have gone and figured out her life potentially if she had an instagram kind of thing but wait i want to hear from brian and alex about their first encounters with this movie because they got really excited when you brought up that you wanted to talk about it like more so than I did because I hadn't seen it that recently and I didn't know how much I love this movie. Brian Alex, <laughs> pick one. <laughs> I'll go. One whose name yes shares a character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember just being really, uh, really moved by this movie that I did not expect to be moved by. You know, I <clears throat> I remember seeing the trailers and it looked fun. It looked like a kind of a stylish movie with with actors I liked uh, and it looked like a, just kind of a, a good dramedy fun time and, and for it to have such a gut punch and for it to kind of get existential by the end mm. and really end on this open-ended note that just leaves you a bit unsettled. Uh, there's kind of like a peacefulness to the final shot and the ending, but there's also kind of like a sudden cutoff to it. Like the, the, the music in the sand just goes away. So it was it was a really interesting experience of going in expecting a very conventional, yeah, like '90s movie, um, and and feeling like it was elevated in this way. And and I I got more bang for the, my buck. Like I, I got a really a, a more kind of I'm going to reflect on my life experience than I expected from like the marketing and the trailers and, and just the overall style of the film. So it was just one of those really wonderful, pleasant surprises where you go into a movie theater expecting one thing and you get that, but then you get more and you walk out like feeling like feels and, 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 and <laughs> having thoughts and, and one, and like you said, wanting to have conversations after the movie, Trisha. Um, so yeah, it just, it's, it, once again, it's, it's feels so rare, I guess, because yeah, there's just this, it's like this dying breed of just simple, uh, yeah, dramedy, I guess, character study, uh, mid-budget movie. It's not, it's not a super indie art film. It's right. very accessible. It's very easy to watch, but it's also got really complex characters and really good performances. It's not cheap. It's not overly simple. It, it's, 
it's mm-hmm. got really interesting nuance and there's scenes where people don't even say anything and exchange a look and it's it means everything so it's yeah it, it's it's it is like a movie that we don't get anymore. You know, we get the like a 24 weirdo art film, um, or we get, you know, the kind of the big broadest movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it does feel like this, whatever this is, uh, we have to kind of go back in time (laughs) to retrieve it. (laughs) And up in the air is just, is, is just one of the best examples of whatever this is. It was a weird time in the movie industry, too, like mm-hmm. because it was right after the writer's strike. Financial and, crash. And mm. the financial crash. Yeah, it was just, you know, I think when we were doing our like favorite movies of the aughts, epi- you know, episode, all of our movies tended to be concentrated in or like the the bulk of them from all four of us were concentrated in the first half of the aughts because the second half of the aughts, especially like 08, 09, 2010, were like, what was happening (laughs) then like it was it was just a really uh uncertain and inconsistent sort of time in the movie business where they they didn't have their feet under them at all and they didn't know what they were going to make and i think that's part of the like charm of this movie is that it does like you say it feels like a 90s movie in its construction and i agree but Obviously, the world that it captures is so unique mm-hmm. to the exact moment that it yeah. came out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was on a recent episode, Michael, you were talking about like every movie should be a period piece. And this movie really is in that right. sense. Yeah. Well, and to the point of which I didn't know the first time I watched it, but, you know, the interviews with all these people that have lost yep. their jobs are real yep. interviews with people that really lost their jobs and that was a thing that I believe was added kind of later as they were editing and mm-hmm. they kind of realized, oh, we should like see these people. If we're kind yeah. of talking about this thing, let's make it really about And it was them. so raw in that and moment. I mean, yeah. we're hiring these people to be in our movie. Therefore, we get to pay them to be in the movie. Yep. So it was kind of a nice yeah. like circular thing there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, Brian, what, what do you... Yeah, uh, yeah you know, talking about our, our top tens of the aughts, this was... we just did punch drunk love and that and this were both like oof like right in the 12 you know kind of thing and and both of them rewatching them lately i'm just like man maybe i have to rethink if they were you know uh so it's a it's a good um it's a good month for movies from the mid-aughts that were almost in my top 10 <laughs> that are kind of unconventional rom-coms about a guy obsessed with freaking flyer miles so that's, <laughs> that's, that's our specific letterbox list yeah, wow. yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah no as you were saying like I, I i love you know i love movies that are both entertaining and have something to say right and you kind of get as you were saying alex sometimes you get one or the other you get like oh i'm like we're like stewing in this theme but everything's weird and off-putting and whatever or it's just like this is a safe movie where there's like a pasted on theme that is basically meaningless you know and jason reitman is good at these movies where it's like this theme is very strong and it's sort of in your face in a way that is is unabashed like you literally have the character in the first 10 minutes being like this is my philosophy on life i am talking to you about it um but then you do the thing you do the movie thing right you face him with all the opposing um 
opposing philosophies, or in the case of Vera Farmiga, the what is the hundred percent of this philosophy, right. you know, and how does that look? And uh, so, yeah, thank you for smoking, young adult. I haven't seen some of his more uh, recent ones, but like he is good at doing this this kind of thing that feels like it's it's the right balance where it's like if you just want to go watch kind of a an entertaining movie, you do kind of get that. Like if you want to turn your brain off, you can choose to watch this movie that way. But also, if you want to go in and have a movie kind of really make you think about your own life choices like you can read it that way too and you know that's why i love fight club right like few movies are are good at doing both that kind of let you decide how how seriously you want to engage with it or if you just want to watch something that's kind of a piece of entertainment um and uh yeah so lots to talk about i, I you know also early Anna Kendrick, who is the microest mm-hmm. of micros. And I just knew <laughs> I loved her right away. And it's weird because the other movie, the other early movie that we know her from is was directed by Jason Reitman's British twin brother, uh, Edgar Wright, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. So we we're seeing the the early stages of her, his career, uh, her career. Those of us who aren't big Twilight fans, at least, who, you know, right. she was new to us. Yeah, I feel like this was the movie that like launched a thousand crushes on Anna Kendrick. Mm. In, in my mind, anyway. <laughs> Similar to Groundhog Day, the what you were pointing out, Michael, it does remind me of that and that for uh, a very specific reason, which is this has the beautiful like chicken and egg premise protagonist match where like you have a protagonist who has like a very specific life philosophy, as you're pointing out, of, like what's in your backpack? You can't be tied down. Motion is living. And then you take that and you marry it to the premise. And like, I don't know which came first, right? Because like, it's based on a novel. And, you know, I know that Walter Kearns, when he was writing the novel was like, knew a lot of people who were like, you know, traveled, you know, 350 days a year kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, So I don't really know. But like, if you look at the premise, and then you ask yourself, who is who is the central person that like would live this way and what would his life philosophy have to be and what would it mean um, for that character? What would then that flaw be that's like embedded in the philosophy, right? So if you take the premise of like, okay, here's a guy who literally travels and fires people for a living, who would that guy be? What must his problem be? Let's dig into that. Or you could start it over. What if this was your life philosophy? What kind of job would you have? And then logically follow that extension out. Mm-hmm. I don't know which which place you start in this case, but either place gets you to this incredibly literalization of like a life philosophy. Mm-hmm. The movie's called up in the air. It's like, it, we get it. We get it. It's <laughs> This is what you would do if this is what you truly believed about whatever. But, and and as you're pointing out, you know, as you pointed out, Michael, it seems like almost too on the nose in a lot of ways, but they sell it to us so effectively mm. that it, instead of feeling like we're being hit in the face with it, it feels like we're being invited into it. And it's so perfectly married to everything that comes after, or like that, that the premise naturally gives rise to this story about this particular person, because those two things, it's not just like, what if this guy did this thing? Like, that's like the dartboard way of right. constructing <laughs> right, a premise right, right. Yeah. and a character arc. And this is not that way. This is all of a piece. 
Yeah. And then you juxtapose that against the the sort of victims of his job, you know, who exactly. you're opening up with. Yep. And I mean, I, that's why also why I love the real interviews, because that makes it just feel so much more visceral and so much more real. You know, it's not just who would this guy be, but it's like it's showing it show it, it immediately it immediately communicates to the audience like this is somebody who's comfortable with doing something to other people that we probably wouldn't be comfortable with or the average person wouldn't be comfortable with because that's how removed he is from sort of empathy and emotion and etc yeah yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, it, it, it makes me realize that, you know, on the noseness feels bad i think when it is that kind of like pasted on top like like you like you said brian we see sometimes like cookie cutter movies where it's like yeah this you know now this scene needs to happen now it's the midpoint so i guess something's got to change and here's the crisis oh but it's easily resolved and here's the theme everybody and when we just when we feel those things aren't naturally coming out of the story that's Mm -hmm. when it feels like on the nose in a bad way this movie is so good because even though everything's so clear and so strong, it's all integrated. You know, like every character is here to serve that theme, to serve like the main character's journey. Uh, and and so it doesn't feel bad on the nose. Uh, so I think it, it, yeah. it's a good example of like clarity and almost being like forceful with your theme doesn't have to show up in a bad way if every element in your movie is like integrated and serving that single theme and this is this movie yeah it does does feel like every choice every turning point is exactly right and natural and not just oh we're on page you know 70 so now this happens yeah 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 i I feel like and i think trisha you must have said this this at some point but yeah i think it's much better to have a really obvious theme than no detectable theme (laughs) whatsoever (laughs) and i think (laughs) that yeah, I think there might be a kind of thing where, you know, I think I think as movie watchers, sometimes when we know something is wrong, we feel something is wrong, we go for the obvious thing. I think we talked recently in an episode where, Brian, I think you mentioned, like, actors get blamed for bad dialogue mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Because Godfather the audience... 3. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yeah, because the audience feels like something isn't working. What am I looking at? I'm looking at this person. That person is bad at whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't fault anyone for, you know, not understanding the inner workings of how a movie is made. But I do feel like some of these things were like a fear of being too on the nose with what my movie is about might come from this kind of like, you know, bad experiences with movies where it feels like it's on the nose and hitting you over the head in a bad way that are actually just like other problems. But I think... I think it's a good thing if you can walk into a room where someone is watching a movie and be like, what's that movie about? And the audience can be like, it's about this guy and he like fires people, but really he needs to learn to like live and let love it. <laughs> like it's good if the audience knows what your movie is about. So don't yeah. be afraid of that. Right. I would yeah. love to do an experiment where like you get Meryl Streep and Daniel Day-Lewis to act out a scene, but like 
everything is sort of a little off, like the dialogue is off and you have that thing that like people shot on their phones and you can hear the room tone from each, each time it cuts, like the room tone changes. Right. And like the lighting is bad. And I, and like, I would genuinely love to like hand that to a stranger who's never heard of these actors and be like, do you think these actors are good? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like, yeah. you don't realize the things that your brain is, is doing uh, like the things that don't add up in your brain. You don't realize what's happening a lot of the time. So you just sort of, like you said, blame what's in front of you. Anyway, mm -hmm. we're talking about up in the air, but that's yeah. something <laughs> I want to do. Now I want to see like a really serious, like David Fincher directed. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep version of the room. Like, yeah, right. like take the script, <laughs> script make the hell out of it. Yeah. Like, but don't change what a word. Yeah. 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 Be interesting. You just add subtext. Oh, <laughs> hi, Mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, all of this just reminds me so much that, you know, all of this work has been done on the page, but then is supported yeah. by the filmmaking. So I was reading the screenplay for Up in the Air today. Um, and it's a hell of a read. I strongly recommend it. It's very accessible online. Just go and get your hands on it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but what it, when it talks about that like early sequence where Ryan is packing his suitcase, it talks about like, this is a ballet worthy of Tchaikovsky. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is beautiful. The rhythm and the precision with which he like puts his shoes in and like the coat slides off the hanger, the hand clicks the light switch without looking like the script is not saying like, here's a medium shot of a hand hitting a light switch. It's describing the like sort of thematic feeling of who Ryan is. And then, you know, Jason Reitman, who, who obviously wrote, probably I'm sure all of those lines that I'm describing about in the screenplay, he is then translating that. And when he puts his director hat on and is like, okay, we're going to do this series of cuts or whatever. Um, but again, it starts with like the character work that's on the page and then it's supported by the filmmaking. And so, you know, Alex, I think called this movie stylish a few minutes ago and yeah, mm -hmm. this movie is mm -hmm. stylish as hell, but it needs to be stylish because it has to sell us Ryan's lifestyle, right? Yeah. In order to get us into like Ryan's mind um, and make us think that Ryan is cool. We need to see how people react to him, how like effortlessly things come to him. Like he talks about like, you hate these things about traveling. I love these things about traveling. And it's because they're easy for him, right? The way he navigates the world. And that's how the characters conveyed on the page and then the filmmaking also the editing the shot selection like and yeah the performances too all support that so well and it's it's showing that he's good at what he does and that's as we've talked about many yeah. times a classic thing that gets us into a protagonist where expertise which is you know a you know a, a tall mountain to climb in some ways because you know ryan is someone that goes around and fires people but he he's good at his job he's good at flying uh but he also when he fires people he has this like empathy to it like mm. he he does have this sure he's doing a you know despicable ish thing if you want to look at it that way but he approaches it with care and wants to do it really well and like understands the vulnerable place that other people's in he's not callous with it which would just make him totally a bad guy Right. Yeah. It reminds me, we talked about in our Godfather episode, you know, if if your protagonists are criminals, 
make them like the honorable criminals. And I think mm-hmm. that thing is really smart character design to make Ryan have still kind of this ethic and this moral code with, yeah, these guys are going to get fired regardless of me. You know, like I'm just the messenger. How can I do my job in the best possible way to make them almost like reverse psychology feel like this is an opportunity, even though they're most likely screwed. Um, and so I, I do think that's a really important choice because yeah, if he was just a total corporate shill with no heart, who doesn't give a second thought to anybody, any, anybody he talks to, um, then I don't think we would get on board with this movie. Right. Cause it's just like, Oh, you're just a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where, some of his character flaws are hidden in the first act and sort of are being brought out then by, you know, especially Anna Kendrick's character um, where it's like, he seems like the empathetic one until, you know, until the woman says, I'm going to jump off a bridge. And she's like, Oh my God, should we worry? He's like, she's like, do you ever check up on him? And he's like, nah, that there's no good. That right. I could come of that. Right. And you're like, Oh, okay. So maybe he's not quite, but as you're saying, Alex, you, the movie kind of has to get us on board with him. Even if we just think he's a good, like a good guy, quote unquote. Um, and then, but then I love the design of Natalie because I feel like the easy version of this movie is, Clooney has to get stuck with his brother-in-law for, for the movie, right? It's like the planes, trains, right. and automobiles or something where it's like, here's the complete opposite of you who has a different mm. set of values and now they're going to peel it apart. Whereas Natalie is like Natalie and Alex are just sort of clones of this character. They're like, oh, we all have the same philosophy and we all, um, you know, agree about the, the way to do things basically, but they sort of are you know, the, the levels are so different, right? Because we, as we find out with Alex by the end, she is absolutely committed to this, this way mm-hmm. of like compartmentalizing, you know, her, her lives. Um, whereas Natalie, you know, she, she talks big in terms of like, here's the new ideas and here's where we're going to do this. And we don't have to do it in person because we don't care about people. But then of course, as we start to get to know her, she is very caring and very compassionate and, and, you know, um, and, you know, the, the scene on the dock there where she is just like challenging him about all of his beliefs. Um, so it, I just think it's like, there's like an elegance to the fact that the character, instead of the easy way, which is just sh- have a bunch of characters who are complete opposites of each other. It's have a bunch of characters who are very similar to each other, but the ways in which they're different is so telling. And then it becomes the character web to make the protagonist do what we need the protagonist to do. Yeah. And it has to do with the tests, right? So as Mm. you're pointing out, all the characters are very similar. Natalie espouses the same ideology, but doesn't actually believe in it in her heart. Right. And we see that so early on where it's so easy to break her, right? Like (laughs) the cracks are so obvious, like even in the first, you know, where she's talking to JK Simmons. Um, And then we see like, yeah, we know that, um, Vera Farmiga's character, Alex, is like stone cold all the way. So there is this spectrum, but then the situations that the movie puts all of those characters in is those situations are specifically designed to test and test and test where like the woman who said she's going to jump off a bridge is designed to test Natalie, Mm -hmm. right? Specifically where it's like, if you, you say you believe this, do you really, when you're sitting in the room with someone who's dealing with it, right? And then like, you have that situation where um, it's uh, Ryan and, and it's at the like tech party, which I think is a really fascinating midpoint. Yeah. 
but it's like, do you really love this woman? Like, how do you actually feel? Let's test it uh, in this condition. Um, and then you have, of course, like the wedding and onward where it's like testing the Vera Farmiga character, Alex. It's like, are you really going to go to this wedding? Are you really going to show up and be in all of this situation and act like you're a proper girlfriend and everything? Um, and it's interesting because obviously she doesn't go through an arc, right? Like she basically fails that test mm. as like a person, but as a character, right? Like succeeds in like living out her entire philosophy. But I just think that the construction of those situations is so perfectly like poking at everybody's philosophies and pushing them and pushing them to see if they're going to adhere to what they say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the audience knows exactly what those things are, then we're engaged when we're like, oh, they're in a situation that's going to test that thing. Like I'm, I'm involved in this movie now. Um, I think it's also really interesting that the each of these characters, the the age difference, I think plays yeah. a really mm. g interesting role. And Alex, I think earlier you were saying, you know, that you left the theater kind of thinking about your life. And I feel like that the kind of the age differences between those three main characters. And then when you go to the wedding and you see kind of the rest of Ryan's family, like all these people are dealing with relationships and family at different stages. And so it does kind of create this uh, kind of holistic thing. And, you know, there's the hilarious scene where Natalie and uh, yeah, Alex and Ryan, when they first oh, meet yeah. and she's like, tell me about like what you wanted when, you know, <laughs> what you look for in a person, yeah. Vera Farmiga. And she lists all those things. And then, yeah, the, great like one-liner of like well that was really depressing and just like all the perspectives <laughs> that come with life of like a 20 year old looking at you know someone in their late 30s and i think all of that uh yeah just adds like a richness and a texture to all of this that makes each of their perspectives um their differing like takes on that same theme believable because they're all mm -hmm. in different places in their lives both time like time wise also which i think helps yeah and once again, the movie, you know, every single character that's brought into the movie does have a kind of a take on the theme. His sisters, you know, one of the sisters is like going through a separation. The other sister yeah. is like about to get married, but uh, cold feet. And it's, you know, so there's, you know, we're not in a movie that has like a simplistic moral code where it's like marriage and family equals good and the end. It's like, no, here's examples of people who chose this life to settle down and to varying degrees of success. And maybe this this marriage is ending in, in a lot of unhappiness. Uh, so it's it's not, once again, a cookie cutter movie with like a really black and white theme where it's like, obviously, Ryan is wrong and everybody who's right. married is happy. It's like, no, he has reason to question if that path would work out any better than the path he's chosen. Um, and, and, but once again, all those characters are, are serving that function thematically as well as just their function, in the plot. And yeah. that's when a movie feels so tight because it's just like, nobody's wasted. They're all supporting that. And I think that's why I love the story is such a great, you know, the character gets what they need, but not what they want. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, it's a story of Ryan learning that, Oh, he does maybe want, a relationship and a deep connection and a family like he is learning that about himself and opening up and all that stuff which is great but in the process he gets devastated which was kind of like you know i'm sure some of the fear around it in the first place right and so i think that is why 
as you were talking about earlier, Alex, it leaves you in this kind of weird place where you're like, I'm happy for him that he got to learn this about himself and realize what maybe he really appreciates deep down inside. Maybe it's not 10 million miles. Maybe it's human connection. But man, that sucks that it went that way. And is he going to be okay and all that stuff? And I I just love, I like movies where that happens, where the character gets what they need, but not what they want. And it leaves you in that kind of, now I have to figure out how I feel and what do I want? What do I need? Like that kind of mm. thing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, since this is a rom-com sort of dramedy thing in that vein, um, I do want to spend a minute and talk about the meet cute, um, yeah. which is the scene where mm. they like encounter each other in the bar, um, and then they start like they Comparing. immediately start talking about rental cars, yeah. right, mm-hmm. and like rental car agencies. Um, it's a really clever little dialogue piece of dialogue, right? That conversation um, because it gets at all of this, right? Which is like Ryan meets somebody who is so similar to him in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, is equally matched, has similar interests, like is also clever and on his wavelength where he's like, Hey, that new car rental agency, they're not bad. And she's like, is that a joke? He's like, yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Where like, he like tests her a little bit and she like passes with flying colors. Um, in the script, uh, that's it's after that moment that they tell each other their names. You know what I'm about to say, Michael? Yeah, there's a there's a parenthetical in the script. So like parentheticals in screenplays are are typically for like a delivery that might be unexpected for the line, right? Where you like absolutely need to indicate to the actor, okay, here's what the line says, but but the delivery needs to be delivered with this attitude or whatever in order for the line to work at all or make any sense basically um and you do want to be sparing with them in your script uh but in this script the line is i'm ryan but the parenthetical for the delivery is in italics and it just says i love you (laughs) (laughs) that's great he says i love like the line is i love you but the line is i'm ryan right um and it's it just goes such a long so way good. toward the scene when you read it on the page, but then obviously that's like what's imbued. I mean, and and, and Vera from Megan George Clooney have amazing chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also reading an article about like the editing process on this, and yeah. like yeah, going back and forth with like catching the way that they like capturing their chemistry in the way that it's edited, which is really beautiful. But yeah, it's just it's a really great meet cute and i've talked about it on this podcast a thousand times but like if you want us to like a couple it needs to be based on something like they have to have something in common they have to understand each other in some way and even those little moments are just like i love them i love them be together like you guys there's no one else who would understand the two of you the way that you understand each other and and even the follow-up scene in the Right in the bedroom, like after the laptop at the same time. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. And there's another visual. I love that once they do go to the wedding together, there's like the 
the shot of them and the airport opens with the shot of their suitcases next to each other rolling mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and it's like cute because you know them it's like oh they have their little rolling suitcases together and they're off and <laughs> it's another little visual way of showing the yeah. relationship yeah you, you mentioned the editing trisha and i, and I, I do re- like remember viscerally from the first time i watched the movie there are looks they give each other when they're getting kind of tipsy at the bar that mm-hmm. feels so authentic. Like there's, there's, a, there's a real twinkle in Clooney's eyes, like looking at her that you just, you can't fake. And and it, the editing is just so perfect because it just captures these little, like super authentic moments of real chemistry. And, and yeah, like when that's not in a movie where we're supposed to care about the couple, it, it really it can be fatal because we need we need to have something real pass between these two people to make us like need them to be together and this movie like strikingly has that in spades in that first Mm -hmm. week and it goes all the way down right so thinking about that scene where they're talking anna kendrick's character through her breakup right Mm -hmm. where they're all sitting in that lobby bar and having a drink or whatever um And he's, you know, Alex is talking about like, here's what I want from a man. And like, here's what I think about things. And um, George Clooney's character, right, is not saying anything, right? He's just kind of listening to these two women talk about like men and relationships and everything. But the, the way that the editing is capturing, like there's that two shot of them and he's kind of looking at her a little bit or like you can see how carefully he's listening to what she's saying um but then you're also like watching Vera Farmiga's performance and then it cuts back to um Anna Kendrick's character and who's like centered in the frame by herself and then you have like a wide that anyway it's it it does so much work to keep us in the space with all three of them because this is character work for all three of them all three of them are expressing things about like what they want and who they are. And that extends to what they want from each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and the, the shifting dynamics in the scene of like, maybe Ryan is the one, like, maybe it is the thing, Alex, like, listen to what you're saying. Like you can see him wondering too. And the editing, like make sure to get that in the two shot or like even in the close up of him of like, him listening and being like maybe maybe and you see the wheels turning um it's beautiful it's masterful yeah the other thing i want to say about the filmmaking is that it i really like that there's a um there's no unnecessary music score like there's a yeah. lot of moments where they're like no score we're just gonna have the dialogue the scene play and there is score and it's great and it, it comes in when it needs to but i like that it doesn't over rely on the score to tell us how we're supposed to feel about what's happening in any given moment and i think that's you know you can do that when as we're saying you have these great performances great characters that are great on the page but also these performances where there is uh real chemistry and you can see the wheels turning and you understand the subtext you don't need to like put in a little you know i don't know like a harp going by being like look they're (laughs) in love audience like we feel it just from watching them and and sitting with them in those moments i also feel like Clooney for you know as many movies as he's been in he tends to play the character who is sort of unbreakable you know like Mm -hmm. Danny Ocean or something right um and or he's playing the idiot in like the Coen Brothers movies you know that kind of thing um and I think it's it's refreshing there's like a little run in in the aughts with this and Syriana and Michael Clayton 
um, and the American, I think, where he played people who were who just felt sort of broken and off and that kind of thing. And it's like for somebody, you know, who is that like that perfect, beautiful, like statue of an actor, you know, it's like it's there's something very um compelling when you see them mm. play a character who has like as you were saying alex just those little those little looks and those little moments those little vulnerabilities that make them feel like a, a human being yeah he really including this movie feels maybe as vulnerable vulnerable as i've ever, I've ever as i've ever seen him you know mm -hmm. he he has like this his he has that cool facade and his kind of corporate you know efficiency but right below that there's a lot of kind of sadness and uh, like e like an easily hurt little boy is like right mm. there and you can really feel it. And there's so many scenes uh, where it's, you can feel that facade is almost just barely holding together when, you know, when he asks uh, his sister, like, do you have somebody, somebody to walk you down the aisle and, yeah. you know, playing off like, Oh, cool. Just making sure, just, you know, just making sure that you're covered. Um, even early on in the movie, when his neighbor comes in yep. and we have this whole hint at like the, the, this kind of ongoing relationship uh, and, you know, he's playing it off as, Oh, cool. Great. You're seeing somebody. Um, but yeah, from the beginning, uh, Clooney plays it where like this guy does not have much standing between, this cool facade and a lot of kind of pain and insecurity and hurt. Um, and, and I think that that is what makes the movie so compelling for me is watching a character who is like really just writing that boundary the whole time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And that it's, you know, each of those moments are these, like you're saying, these little moments of vulnerability. And I love that they're just kind of sprinkled throughout and kind of, serve as the big turning points in the movie also like um like the you know the midpoint scene where anna kendrick is pretending she can't sing uh and they're sitting on the boat <laughs> um, i thought about that yeah. i was like yeah. girl <laughs> carry a tune we all know yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it's a clooney and vera farmega sitting on the the back of the boat and there's that moment where he's like you know she brings up the backpack and he just says Recently, I've been thinking I needed to empty the backpack to know what to put back in. Mm -hmm. And like just that one line. And that's kind of the only thing he says, like in dialogue about where he's at. But that tells us so much because we know all the stuff about him and that his philosophy is it's the midpoint thing. He's kind of getting it, but he's not ready to fully commit to all mm -hmm. of that stuff. And then, yeah, when at the airport, when after the wedding, uh, when Verfamiga is leaving and she says, you know, call me when you get lonely. He says, I'm lonely, which is something he mm -hmm. never would have said mm. in the beginning of the movie. And it's just those two words. But and you like you get it and you understand how vulnerable he's making himself in those moments. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those amazing, just perfect, you know, directing, writing performances where you know she's almost saving him by playing it like a joke. Like she laughs like, ha ha. Yeah, mm -hmm. like you're lonely mm -hmm. already. But like the way he says it is so vulnerable and like he's mm -hmm. not even able to pretend anymore. Like when he right. says I'm lonely, he says it with a, like a little bit of a smile so that like the joke interpretation is available. But it's so not a joke. Right. So I'm saying <laughs> and, like, I love you. Come back. Right. Like, <laughs> please don't leave. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the critical things um, that the movie does is sell us on their relationship 
in a thousand subtle ways. Like there are some big ways that it sells us on their relationship where we, like we talked about like the first time they have sex, they're like perfectly in sync. And like, they, you know, like are like, okay, well let's meet up and do this again. This was all really great. And the meet cues really great. And like that first romantic encounter, we like buy it. We'd like them together. Um, and then that, they have that phone call, right, where she's like, why didn't you call me? And he's like, well, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. Um, and she's like, you don't need to worry about it. But, like, clearly she likes him, right? That's, like, the very act of, like, her calling him, even though she's, like, passing it off as being, like, really breezy and, like, it's fine. Um, but she called him in the first place to, like, say that. Again, we're like, we like this. But the the work of the wedding sequence where she like agrees to go to the wedding, they like break into his high school, right? But then there's this, and and that's all like cute. And it's just sort of like standard sort of rom-com-y, like how can we put these two characters in a quirky, cute, kind of weird situation? I love when she's and, like, and, is that all you got? And she does her little like, <laughs> right. look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's really great. It's a really good example of that kind of sequence, but the sequence itself is not that unusual in a rom-com. What is unusual though, is that when all of these situations arise with his family, where like his brother-in-laws get Danny McBride gets cold feet. And he has to go talk to him. She like takes him to drop him off. And is like, I'll pick up your suit. Mm-hmm. And she just like, that's all she says. Not like you got it. You're going to be great. You're whatever. She doesn't lay it on too thick. It's true to the character, but it's a supportive note that like, again, these are the subtle ways that make the relationship feel more like real and special. Um, and too, like when he's talking to his sisters after the reception and she's like, I'm going to go take care of these flowers for you or whatever it is. She's like, I'll take care of this box. I'll just go put it away where she's helping out and seems aware of the needs of all the people in the room, in the room. Right. And there's, there's so much about how she's great throughout that entire wedding sequence in very sort of small and subtle ways in addition to the big ways that make that relationship feel like extra special, like we really, really want it to work out. Yeah. I think in the uh, director's commentary for this movie, if that exists somewhere, I remember, uh, yeah, Jason Reitman talking about that moment that you pointed out of the like, I'll go grab your suit, where he's, he's saying exactly what you said of like, it's a small moment, but we're getting to see them work together as a team and like it's so much fun to see them coming together and really be a couple in that way yeah um so there are so many amazing things to talk about with up in the air why don't we move to lessons and look at it through that lens um alex do you want to start what's your lesson for up in the air sure i mean so I always think, I mean, the, the image from this movie that always sticks in my head is the twist moment. And mm-hmm. I think that moment is worth studying just to see an example of really efficient, powerful filmmaking where, mm-hmm. you know, there's many different versions of that scene you could think of. I mean, maybe she comes outside and they have a conversation right then and there where she, you know, everything's explained uh, or, you know, he encounters her husband. There's a lot of different ways that can go down, but the way the scene is shot where she opens the door, we just get pieces of visual and like audio information, the bare minimum information we need at the right moments to, to create this like perfect little arc of heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't overstay its welcome. 
nothing is said. It's just a look between them. Well, he says I was in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right. And then, and then she says to her husband, oh, no, just wrong door or something. Someone who's lost. Someone right. who's lost. That's oh. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Anyway, yeah, I just I just think that that moment is worth studying because I think that reveal could have been a lot less powerful and maybe less unsettling if it was done in a less masterful way. Mm. But I think just the exact length of the moment that like silent horrible moment the exact information that is revealed at like at the time it is revealed just adds up to this just perfect like perfect scene that that sticks with you afterwards because of how well it's constructed yeah Yeah. um so yeah just just wanted to shout out the twist moment because it's so good And again, that's another great moment without score that doesn't lean on score. Like yep. it could yes. have been a, like a, you know, violins as he's racing to her house. And then like, <laughs> like there's a million bad ways to do that with the music, but it lets it be quiet so we can hear the things like you're saying. And then yeah, that smash cut to like the wide where we're looking at him through the window of the hotel and it's just like snow and wind. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like all of that together just makes you have to sit with it and the agony of it and it's great yeah when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in next because my lesson is also about that moment, not about the way that it's done, as Alex was talking about, but more about the the inclusion of it at all. Um, I've talked a couple times on the podcast, I think in Q&As, about Q's and A, uh, Q's and A's, they're both, um, about these these movies where I call it the protagonist learns their lesson, but it's too late. Um, Mm. as opposed to the movies where the protagonist learns their lesson and they're victorious at the end, you know? Um, And the problem is I don't like to name movies when I talk about this. And I always want to talk Mm. about Up in the Air, but I'm like, I don't know who has seen that, right? Um, So like the safer movies I mentioned are American Beauty. Uh, I would say American History X is kind of safe where it's like you kind of get the Ooh, you learned and you and it's okay now, but no, sorry. It it took too long for you to learn your lesson. Therefore, you actually are being punished, you know. Um, and what I like about that is I like the urgency it gives to to the theme, like to you as the audience member yeah. watching this movie. It's like the meta message is saying it's not just saying you can clean up your act whenever and you'll be fine. It's saying like, if you wait too long, there could be consequences, you know? And, and this movie, it's not like, it's not like she got married, you know, a week ago or something like that. Like she's always been the entire time, but there is, but I think it does still sort of do that same work of saying like, yeah, you waited until now when you're, you know, however old you are to learn this lesson. Guess what? The first person who comes along isn't, going to be the person so you're going to have to do some work now you know and then and that's why i love the movie opens on that open-ended just welp here we go but he is ready which is also nice because the movie gets to kind of do both it's like he loses the immediate 
battle. He, he loses the, you know, as you were saying, Michael, I thought about you watching this this time, uh, getting what you uh, what you need, but not what you want, basically, which is, you know, a, a common thing. So it's like he he loses that immediate thing that he wants. And that is the thing that we as the audience want for him. But then, of course, in the last 10 minutes of the movie, we're like, well, no, I guess what we really want is for you right. to go through this kind of, you know, philosophical change, you know, ideological change, I should say. So it's unfortunate that you don't get the thing that you want, that we want for you too. But the important thing is that you are, that when you are looking at the list of flights and wondering where to go, we know what that means, right? We know mm -hmm. that that means you are in a good place now. So I like that this movie kind of gets away with both. But the one thing I really wanted to talk about was the the sort of the gut punch you can give your audience by having a character who you think who did learn their lesson and you think is going to go and, and, you know, run and, and get the, you know, get their partner and whatever. And nope, sorry, because they, they spent too long with that, with that simple ideology that they had that uh, there's, there's consequences. It's not that easy. Yeah. 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 It's great. Trisha. Yeah. Um, I actually sort of have, I guess what seems like sort of a simple screenwriting lesson, but it has to do with trajectory and um, like where your movie is going and just telling your audience it. Um, or I guess like another simple way to put this is like ticking clocks. This movie has three ticking clocks. It starts off by telling us there's a wedding. So we know the wedding is coming. We know Ryan is going to the wedding. There's no way for him to get out of it in as much as he would like to. So the wedding is ticking clock number one. Ticking clock number two is his job is coming to an end, mm -hmm. right? Mm. He gets to go out on this last like roadshow tour to show Anna Kendrick how it's done, but it's going to be over, right? Like probably this is just, he's going to be called back in his entire way of life is sort of coming to an end. And so this is kind of like the last hurrah on the road. And a lot depends on how they do um, in this like last tour of sort of firing people. And then the third one is this number he has in mind that he hasn't hit yet. And so the movie has these like deadlines for the character. And it's like, by this time, something will need to change probably by this time something will need to change by this time something will need to change and it also creates the story threads of the entire thing right like he doesn't have a date to the wedding he has to go he has to take pictures of this like these silly like cardboard cutouts um it gives him and anna kendrick something to do while they talk about their philosophies while they like yeah argue about life and whatever um Meanwhile, there are stakes to all of it because, you know, the job is coming to an end and the job is his entire way of life. Like, I think in the script after Anna Kendrick's presentation, um, her name's Natalie, sorry. After Natalie's <laughs> presentation, uh, the script action line says Ryan is having a panic attack, right? <laughs> and then it cuts to him in the room with like Jason Bateman's character. And he's like, you can't be serious. This is crazy. This will never work. Like, and you know that he's not really arguing because he, I mean, he cares about, like the people he's firing but it's obviously selfishly um driven um so we know that there's this desperation on his part to hang on to like his job that enables his way of life right so that's like the second layer and then this third layer is some at some point you're going to hit your miles and then what are you going to do now right everything you're doing is in service of getting these miles um is in service of like this manifestation, this literalization of your life philosophy of like, 
you do everything that you do for like this quote unquote loyalty and these quote unquote points and the status that you think you can earn, but what are you going to do when you earn it? Um, and so in the movie, like in the last act, right at the end of the second act, and then at the climax of the, of the third act, and then the very close, it hits all three of those milestones mm. of that trajectory that the ticking clocks that they promised us they would hit. And each one is satisfying because of the journey on the way to get there. And I feel like with dramedies, um, you know, these things are like, I guess, technically subplots, but they're also interwoven and they do create the spine of the plot and the spine of the character arc in a really clever way. I think it's just really worth studying that it's like, you think one ticking clock for the big game or for the like save the rec center like thing is enough. <laughs> it's not. Build more into it. Yes. Like have more pressure on your characters and deadlines put pressure on characters and it's okay to have more than one it's okay to have three yeah well and i love that because as you mentioned they're all introduced very early they're introduced when ryan is still very much stuck in his old self so we yeah. know how early ryan feels about all those things of like i don't want to go to a wedding and i really want my job more than anything and i can't wait to hit 10 million miles and then by the end all three of those things. Is Actually, there there's four ticking clocks because there's that speaking engagement in Vegas that he oh, runs yeah. out on to go right. get Alex. Right. Yeah. There's four ticking there's clocks. Four. And Brilliant. that one counts too, where like yep. all of those things, how we felt in the beginning, he feels exactly the opposite about them yep. by the end. Right. And that's, we feel that because there is character change being demonstrated in front of yes. us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And also the ticking clock, you know, usually the term ticking clock, I think there's like an anxiety attached to it you know like taken or something right where it's just sure, like sure, yeah. oh my god we have to get to the place by the time um but but yeah it's it's not ticking clock in the way of like a thing has to happen by a certain time so you don't like this movie is very comfortable to watch it doesn't feel you know anxiety inducing so it's more that like there are, there are these like i don't know what the right word is ticking clock or like loose thread or whatever it is but there's there's something that like there's like, like a promise in some ways. say it again milestones kind milestones of. right or like a promise there's something that's going to happen you know yeah. so so we know that there's something like an unanswered question that we are waiting for but also it's not just this anxiety inducing thing where every like every scene we're going oh my he has to get to the place because otherwise he's not going to get to vegas exactly and it's not that kind of movie obviously right they but, don't need to be cheap right i think that's yeah, the right. thing is that ticking clocks are associated with like cheapness mm -hmm. of like here's a countdown and it's a literal bomb that's gonna count down it's gonna stop on the two like it doesn't <laughs> need to be that way they can just be important events for the character by which time they will be tested or at which they will be tested mm -hmm. yeah 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 uh, so I think I have kind of like two mini lessons. And the first one kind of came to me when I was listening to you, Brian, talk about um, Ryan's arc. And, you know, again, that he gets what he needs, but not what he wants. It's also impressive that I didn't really appreciate until thinking about it just now that uh, Natalie also has an arc. And yeah. it's kind of the opposite in some ways where like, you know, if Ryan's thing is like, I don't want to settle and I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to care about relationships or i don't know basically natalie learns like not to not settle either to like not just go like to not treat you know uh 
to be like more precious with love. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like mm-hmm. how to, to say it, but like don't settle with the guy that you thought would be fine and move to right. Omaha with him. Like mm-hmm. go pursue your dreams. Like you're still young and like look for the thing that really means something. And so it, I also just appreciate that this movie has room in its theme for like two manifestations of, of the final form of that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking about when watching it this time is that all the different acts, you know, one, two A, two B, climax, uh, all have different like settings, and that that mm-hmm. really helps us like move through the movie and the phases and the seasons of time as he's changing. You know, we see him in his early stage, but he gets called back home, and so it's work stuff, and then he's on the road with Natalie, and we're flying here, and we're flying like kind of two ways. America is where it's set as they're flying around firing people and then it's the wedding um so yeah I just think that that's uh with yeah it's just good I think it helps you kind of ties into what you were saying Trish of giving the audience like trajectory and sort of setting expectations of like we're at the wedding now like this is the part of the movie where we're going to be at the wedding and we're Mm -hmm. in this phase of things um so I appreciated that about the movie a lot also yeah so many it's pretty lessons. good. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah. I want to watch it again. Yeah. Well, since we can't do that, what have we been watching recently? Kind of segue worked. Alex, yeah. what have you been watching recently? <laughs> Why can't we watch Up in the Air? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about it, right? Yeah, it doesn't make okay. sense. Alex, what have you been watching recently? Um, so I watched uh, 15 Minutes of Shame, which is a documentary on HBO Max um, produced by uh, our friend uh, Kristen Wyland. And it is a really interesting documentary that I highly recommend. Um, It was also produced by uh, Monica Lewinsky, and it's basically studying the phenomenon of social shaming and how that has, you know, manifested in the internet era. And the kind of the premise for the doc is that Monica Lewinsky was like patient zero of the internet age of like social shaming. Like that was early internet kind of like, the whole Monica Lewinsky phenomenon was like the first time the internet was around for like a public shaming event. And it's the documentary goes into like personal stories, but also kind of the sociology of public shaming and why humans like are so like almost uh, like human society has always had some form of public shaming. And now we have these tools and social media and the internet that has just like amplified it and, like virused it in this like really strange way uh that that is just like not good <laughs> um mm-hmm. and and it, and it gets into all different kinds of public shaming there's the kind of uh there's stories where it's like somebody did do like a bad thing uh that they like regret doing but they're like a whole person and their <laughs> lives are over um or there's people who are it's like they're uh african-american and uh one like college president and then, like, couldn't leave their house forever because a right-wing group decided to target them. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it, it goes into the fact that, like, this isn't a left or right issue. This isn't, this is just a, there are human beings, and we currently live in a world in which, like, a human being's life can be destroyed for basically nothing mm-hmm. because of this, like, insane amplification and like anonymousness of public shaming we live in right now. So yeah, very pertinent and interesting and complex movie that isn't like you know, we talk about like cancel culture or these things. You, you think of it's like a left or right kind of political issue, but um, this gets at the more sociolo- sociology of it 
and the psychology of it and and they're really like the human cost for individuals of of the phenomenon so highly highly recommended 15 minutes of shame on hbo max nice yeah cool okay trisha what have you been watching yeah so I, a couple of weeks ago, got to uh, virtually attend Sundance this year, and <laughs> it was amazing. Tremendous lineup of movies, and I will be talking to you about them as they come out. Um, one of the ones that is coming out very soon and is out in certain parts of the world is probably my favorite movie that I saw, um, but was not a Sundance exclusive, um, which was the worst person in the world. Yeah. And yeah, you saw it, Bri. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, it's so good. Like, yep. it's so good. It's it's a dramedy, um, I guess. It's, uh, it's nominated, actually. You know, the Oscar nominations just came out. Um, and uh, it's nominated for foreign language film, um, but it's directed by Joachim, uh, Joachim Trier, I want to say his name is. Um, and it was, uh, it stars, I'm going to mess up her name. I apologize in advance. It's Renate Reinsev. Um, It's so beautiful. It's just this really fantastic portrait of like a young woman in like the most confused stage of her life, basically. Um, and it just captures so much of like relationships in life and, um, yeah, this sort of like sense of indecisiveness and unsettledness and it's so funny and it's so sad and it's just a really wonderful little movie. So, uh, if you have the chance to see the worst person in the world, I had heard like so many people hyping it up and I thought no chance it's as good as people say. But it's really wonderful to watch. Um, It's one of these movies that's divided into chapters. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's, like, divided into 13 chapters and, like, has, like, a prologue and an epilogue. And it it just tells you this story about this person and all the people sort of in her orbit and how they all sort of, like, how she sort of thinks of them all and relates to them all. But it's just so beautifully shot and the central character is so magnetic. It's wonderful. Yeah, what like maybe my favorite performance of the of the year. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yes, it's oh. yeah, yeah, strong, I strong recommend. Keep hearing good things, and I keep hearing good things, so <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to go watch it. That sounds great, awesome, Brian. What have you been watching? Uh, well, speaking of Oscar-nominated foreign films, um, I since the nominations just came out, I figured it'd be a good time to talk about Drive My Car. Oh, nice. Um, yeah which is a Japanese film based on a short story by Haruki Murakami, who uh, I haven't read that short story, but I've read a couple of his books and a couple of his short stories. And he's named multiple after Beatles songs like this one. Um, And, uh, but I I always like him as a a writer. He's uh, has a good, he didn't write this movie, but like he just has a good balance of kind of like up in the air where it's like, it's, there's like a lightness to it and, and, and a funness to it. But at the same time, you're, very clearly being told about a theme and and you know they're clear very clearly discussing something um so the main character of drive my car is an actor and a director and his wife is a screenwriter um and she she reads 
the scripts that he is working on, the, the plays that he's in, she reads the other characters' parts, and then he listens to that on a tape as he either drives or is driven to rehearsal. So he like part of his routine is he's an hour away from from where he is going so that he can listen to that tape on the way. And I don't want to talk too much about the plot because it's it's a three hour movie. So like be prepared for that. Um, but like what I would call early plot stuff is like 30 minutes into the movie. So it's like I don't even want to mention what that is. Um, but the movie very, very clearly and very sort of playfully the things that she is reading as he is driving from, you know, Uncle Vanya or King Lear or whatever it is, are very clearly speaking about what the character is going through and what the plot is, is dealing with. And there are times where she is telling him about a story that she's writing and that clearly is talking about sort of where their relationship is or was or whatever. Um, and then the young woman who is driving him uh, is also, she becomes a, an important character as the story goes on. And then um, again, it's sort of a character thing. It's, it's doing all these really interesting things. Um, it is again, a three hour movie. So by the time, like watch it in one sitting, if you can, I watched it in parts and I felt like by the time I got to the end, like maybe the magic had worn off or something. I still think it's a beautiful mm. movie and I really liked it, but I would say it's one of those movies like Roma where it's just like, mm. just don't let yourself kind of leave the space of the movie when you watch it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm just really happy to see it get so many, uh, recommendations or, or, um, accolades nominations nominations and everything yeah because i think that it uh i I just think it it was really compelling and it doesn't feel three hours long like it doesn't feel slow even though it's just kind of a drama of people talking it feels compelling and it feels like i always i enjoyed every second of watching it nice very cool Hmm, michael uh so i watched nightmare alley the new guillermo del toro i almost talked about that i'm so (laughs) curious to hear your thoughts you watched it because mm-hmm. I was going to say, I don't know that you should watch it and or skip certain parts because um, there are certainly some yeah. uh, yes. uh, parts. There's hot fuzziness towards the end. No, it's okay. I just closed. I just covered my eyes. Great. Slash yeah. I like stood next to my TV for a minute. But <laughs> what I was going to say is that I saw the original. So also I knew what was going to happen. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That would be that would be a fun conversation. We yeah. I don't think that. you should actually. If you're interested in the new one, don't watch the original. Okay. Because it does kind of spoil, like, I think the suspense is a big part of the experience of the new one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, so it's, uh, for people that don't know, how do you summarize this? It's like... It's a carnival (laughs) crime noir. Right. Uh, Right. (laughs) Carney at the protagonist, the center, and it's, yeah, yeah, Carney (laughs) crime noir. It's really interesting. Uh, It has... it. It was a movie that I was on the side of the whole time and like overall I was like entertained by and like kept rooting for it, but also kept bumping up against some weird decisions in the execution and the pacing where like the first act feels like it's almost an hour long <laughs> uh, and, yeah. then, and the whole movie is only like two and a half hours. So weird pacing things but it's like it's kind of held together with as you were alluding to trisha this like tension and like mystery of like kind of wanting to understand what's going on and then the performances you know bradley cooper kate blanchett tony collette willem dafoe richard jenkins rooney mara david stratham ron perlman <laughs> Mary Steenberg, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so a carol reunion in a weird way because they're even yeah, kind totally of dressed like <laughs> right 
anyway, yeah. So it was just it was a really fascinating watch and thinking about because I just watched Up in the Air and this idea of like 90s movies that we don't make anymore. It felt mm. like it was maybe trying to capture some of that of like, oh, this is a drama and it's just about these characters and, and all the stuff. But it was also just really disturbing in ways that felt tonally uh, beyond the spectrum of what needed to be there for the movie. Like it didn't need to be that gory Guillermo. Like that didn't add anything to mm-hmm. so uh, it was a bumpy experience, that. but it was interesting. And I feel like I I learned a lot and had a lot of thoughts about um, writing and filmmaking the whole time. Whether or not it was do this or don't do this, it was a learning experience. To be clear, the original is excellent. Like, interesting. I loved the original. I saw it a couple of years ago and before I knew they were going to remake it. And it, it is excellent. And so I was like, we're remaking this interesting and it's the remake is very similar in a lot of ways the plot is exactly the same um and so yeah if you want to be surprised by the plot of this new one don't watch the original but then i would i would recommend going back to watch the original um if you are interested in it because it it is a really really good movie in its own right i'm curious is 1947 Mm -hmm. right Yeah. yeah and then and all of this based on a book that came out in 1946 um, yeah, so it definitely made me interested in where all this came from. Never going to hear the word geek uh, the same way nope. ever again. <laughs> nope, it's all uh, over now. Unfortunately. Um, so you clearly you never want... read Geek Love by, was it Catherine Dunn in the 90s? Not, <laughs> it's a whole, yeah. it's a whole yeah. situation. If you want to know a lot more about <laughs> the origin of the word geeks, Nightmare yep. Alley is available now. Also stunning production design. Just yeah. Yes, absolutely stunning. Like Very my job was on the floor. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been our conversation about Up in the Air. Uh, we want to say thank you, as always, to our producer, Vince Major, and our editor, Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Coyotos. As always, our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.